Hi, this is Matt Sleppin, and welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. Today's interview is with Bill Bayless, who's the co-founder and chief executive officer of American Campus Communities, the only publicly traded student housing company. Bill co-founded the company in 1993, literally, and this is one of the many cool parts of the interview, down the hall in the same dorm in which Michael Dell founded Dell Computers. Two of Austin's biggest companies founded a few dorm rooms apart from each other. ACC is one of the true pioneers in the student housing business, a business which has both so much in common with the rest of real estate, especially multifamily and hospitality, but also deep differentiators which we get to explore in the discussion. One thing, and I'm reminded of the Leading Voices interview with Keith Oden from Camden Property Trust, was ACC's initial mission statement and intentionality around a commitment to great service. This is one of my favorite discoveries in the podcast series. Many of these hugely successful businesses were started with a deep and long-term commitment to excellence and service, be it to employees, customers, investors, not just a transactional goal. As always, thanks to JLL for being our sponsor in the podcast series. JLL is one of the leading real estate professional services organizations across the globe. For more information on JLL, visit jll.com voices. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share this and your other favorite episodes with a friend in the business. Scroll through the episode list on your podcast app or go to our website at leadingvoicespodcast.com for a list of the episodes. If you have comments, questions, advice, email me at my day job at Terra Search Partners at matt at terrasearchpartners.com. I hope that you enjoyed today's interview with Bill Bayless. Bill Bayless, I am thrilled that you're with us. Our listeners will recognize your voice because you were on several episodes ago as part of the panel at the National Multifamily Housing Council talking about human capital in the apartment business, the apartment business including campus housing. But you have a very different perspective on the world. We certainly do. And maybe the place to start in the conversation is kind of your elevator speech about what your business is, what you do, and maybe how campus housing is a a unique asset class in real estate. And then we're going to go into your story and we'll dig into what campus housing is all about. But, you know, give us a short story here. Yeah, and American Campus Communities is the only publicly traded student housing company in America. Uh, we're the largest developer, owner, and manager of student housing in the country. Uh, we house over 135,000 students annually at uh, nearly 90 campuses. And we've really two segments to our business. Uh, we privately own real estate across the street from colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And then we also have an emerging component of our business where colleges and universities, because of the lack of funding they now receive from the states in which they operate, look to privatize student housing. And so we have a division where we form public-private partnerships with colleges and universities, and they lease land to us, and we privately develop, own, and manage on-campus student housing. Mm-hmm. And so the, the industry is still, from our perspective, very much in its infancy as we're really over the last decade plus in the first round of modernization of student housing, really for the first time since the building boom, the universities and colleges undertook back in the 50s and 60s for the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do third-party management of existing traditional dorms? No, or do you only, do you only build? No, no, we actually do. And, and we, uh, we have a third, we actually have uh, 
170 communities that we own for our own account, and then there's a little more than 30 that we manage on a third-party basis for colleges and universities. And so in some cases, we actually do manage on-campus residence halls for the institutions themselves. Mm -hmm. Got it. And this is a business that didn't exist 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So you founded the company in what year? And we're going to talk about the evolution, but again, this this is a business that really was totally non-privatized 20 years ago. Truly, and it, and it really, the uh, f- 15 years ago when we had our IPO is when we began to institutionalize student housing and really mainstream it as an industry. Uh, our beginning actually took place, I, found, I co-founded the company in 1993 uh, here in Austin. And, and really, it wasn't until the mid-1990s that you even saw, you know, at that point in time, we were a much smaller industry, very uh, more ma and pa and private in that regard. But it really wasn't until the mid-90s that you began to see the development of purpose-built student housing, both on and on camp, on and off campus, under the uh, type of partnerships and private investment that we do today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, here's a question, and you talk about Austin. Just interesting. I lived in a student housing co-op, and Austin is yeah. one of the half dozen cities or uh, universities that has student housing co-ops. Did you ever run into that? And was there any uh, either inspiration or learning from that form of student housing? Well, well, certainly the uh, you know the the co-ops that existed in student housing really you know I would say in part took place because of the lack of focus of institutional quality housing in the market mm-hmm. makes a difference. It's also interesting because one of the things we'll talk about is that you wind up employing some of the students, and in the student housing co-op, part of the benefit was the cost savings because we all worked and and we all fed ourselves so that was an interesting dynamic but also we all got to learn a lot about taking responsibility for yourself because we were running our own housing well you, you know and and this is really what it, this is the unique thing about american campus communities myself actually uh nearly 20 other folks in our senior management division, we all started as resident assistants in college. Mm-hmm. And so we, we grew up as the, the student managers uh, in the facilities. For, for me, it was at West Virginia University. But what we attempt to do that is really unique is while certainly the sticks and the bricks and the mortar are an important component of real estate, what we attempt to do in our product is to create that intangible, which is what you just described. It's the edu- education outside of the classroom where we all live together, a diverse group of students in a diverse community where we learn to socialize, we learn to interact, we learn to debate, we learn the responsibility of uh, moving on in our lives. And so it's really a key component of the intangible we attempt to create in living and learning communities at every property today. Hmm. Interesting. And and this wasn't on our agenda to talk about, but I'm just curious because there's this new co-housing movement in kind of multifamily, but it's maybe like having the college dorm into your 20s. Have you explored that? Is that adjacency to your business? You know, we would say it is the natural evolution of our business. Mm -hmm. As, As we go through the discussion today and we talk about uh, what American Campus has done to the student housing sector. Really, what we have done is to create consumer-based products that incorporate technology and the desire for socialization that the millennials had in college and now after they're leaving college and brought that into their housing products. And so I think a lot of what is is driving 
the demand for co-living, which is where, you know, these young professional professionals are looking for a product where traditional multifamily has not met their needs. Mm-hmm. And really what they're looking for is the products that we have given them over the last two decades in college. And so, you know, for the multifamily industry that is, you know, looking at the young professional and affordable housing uh, in urban areas for young professionals, they attempt to look at what they've done from multifamily unit plans and design and work backwards to where really the products that we think that this young group is looking for is for the products we've created for them in the collegiate environment to move with them into the next phase of their life. And so it is something that's very synergistic to what we do. And a lot of the multifamily companies, I think, are realizing that student housing is really the incubation center for what they should be thinking of the needs of their customers going forward. And it candidly, our customers are becoming their customers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. So, and just a c- couple of other observations. So student housing has some different trends and different dynamics than the other parts of the industry. One is it's a relatively new business. Two is you have very different employment dynamics, which we should talk about. Three is you have a once a year lease up, which you've got to hit. And that puts a different discipline around your business. And then the fourth thing is just working with young people all the time must bring a dynamism into your company that is really special. Any, any thoughts on those different a- observations? Ab- absolutely. And, that, and you just give a great summation of what is so unique about our industry. First of all, it is very administratively and operationally intense. I would tell you that being a student housing company is much more difficult and complex than being a traditional residential multifamily company, mm-hmm. especially when we talk about the questions that you just asked that I'll address when you layer in the fact of what we do with colleges and universities and very large and complex public-private partnerships from a transaction and development perspective. And so mm-hmm. the first thing that, you know, that I mentioned, we house 135,000 students annually. Each one of those 135,000 students represents a rental unit in terms of we lease by the bed, not by the unit. Mm-hmm. And so as a company, we administer annually 135,000 rental units, which candidly, I believe, makes us bigger than any of the public multifamily companies mm-hmm. in terms of the number of exact of uh, lease contracts we have to administer. And as you very appropriately pointed out, we have to release each one of those beds each and every year and have a very small window, sometimes as, as little as 10 to 12 days between academic years to turn and make ready all those units for the next year, and then immediately begin releasing for the following upcoming academic year. So it is a very operationally intense business. Uh, It requires completely different systems, and it does take a very agile, dynamic workforce to be able to keep pace with the fast pace of our business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's come back to all that. And I want to hear the Bill Bayless story, how you got here, how you founded the company, and where it's come to. So did you you went to college in West Virginia. Did you grow up in West Virginia? I did. I, I grew up in the very northern panhandle of West Virginia, uh, the son and grandson of steelworkers. And I grew up right on the, on the Ohio River. And, and you know, I had, uh, and first of all, my mother and father, who, God bless, are still with me today, and were great influences in, in, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a unique experience that in growing up in terms of my education. Uh, in, in the grades one through eight, I went to a private Catholic school, St. John's School, and was taught by the Franciscan nuns. 
And then I went into a large public high school called Brook High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I participated in sports. And I always like to tell the story when I'm talking about my career. The elementary school basketball team I played for over a two-year period went 0-22. We never won a game. Mm -hmm. And I then went to a large public high school that had an incredible high school football program where in my junior and senior year, we made it to the quarterfinals and the actual championship game. And the two interesting things I learned in those two experiences, one was how to lose with dignity, Mm. and the other was how to win with humility. And those experiences seem to always carry through my, my business career, and especially we compete for very large transactions and public procurements with state university systems. And those early lessons in life really kind of formed my approach to business of you're not going to win everything. You got to continue to work hard and always be a good sport. And when you do win and have that victory, you can't be complacent. You got to get ready and get go to do it again. And so I was very fortunate that my blue collar roots and the experiences that I had as a young man, um, I think helped pave the way for a path and a career that could only happen in America uh-huh. in terms of the, the dream that I've been able to live. Absolutely true. So talk about moving on into college and then how you got the bug as a resident manager. You know, I went to college from uh, 1982 to 86. And when you think about what student housing was at that point in time, and for those that are you know my age in their 50s, they'll certainly recall this, on-campus housing was the traditional residence halls built in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. That was, in many cases, you know, shared bedroom, very small, you know, 12 by 20 rooms with a group bathing facility down the hall and no amenities. And you lived in that in your first year. And then as you moved off campus, the off-campus student housing market consisted of very low quality, absentee landlord type housing uh, that really in no way, shape or form was a quality product. And, you know, if you took a real estate class in college in the 1980s, uh, actually, the, mm-hmm. the, the chief author of real estate textbooks at that point in time was a gentleman named Edward Kelly, who was the Institute of Real mm-hmm. Estate Management author that wrote the textbooks. And the only mention of student housing that you would have found in those textbooks was in, a, in mm-hmm. a chapter called Types of Tenants. And the paragraph dedicated to student housing went something like this, and I quote, give me vacancies before you give me students. They won't pay their rent, they'll tear the place up, and they have no sense of loyalty. And so the people that were going on from college and getting into commercial real estate and institutional investment were actually being right. taught that student housing was a area of real estate that you wanted nothing to do with. Yep, I remember and, that. Absolutely and, true. And, and so for me, and I was a marketing major at West Virginia University, and I was living in one of those 1960 residence halls, and I knew that I would very much like to have institutional consumer-based products and services. And I know my mother and father that wanted me to be in an academically oriented environment really wanted me to have a product to live in that would help me achieve my academic goals. And so it was really at West Virginia University as an RA and as a student where I'm sitting here, you know, going to my marketing class, say, wait a minute, I'm working, I'm living in an industry that is not meeting the needs of student consumers and parents and not helping the universities that we're all attending. And so the idea really hit me back then as a student. Hmm. You may have heard my podcast with Sam Zelt, but it was a 
college where he where someone was going to develop student housing and he volunteered or got himself a job. He wouldn't use the word volunteer ever, but um, he got himself a job helping them design student housing they were about to build across the street from his dorm while he was in college. He saw an entrepreneurial opportunity in a very different way because he took it to a different place. But he was thinking, 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 as you were. No, right ab- absolutely. And I'd always heard that Mr. Zell had also got his career started in investing in real estate back in his days at the University of Michigan when he was in school. And so, you know, it, it's colleges and universities continue to be just thriving melting pot of entrepreneurship and great ideas of, of, of the, you know, young individuals and professionals. And so we, we're great. Mm-hmm. We're really excited. And we get to continue to be a part of that every day. Absolutely true. So what brought you from West Virginia to Austin, if that was the yeah, next Yeah, well, step? There, there were, I had, I worked for a total of three companies before I formed American Campus. And uh, when, when I co-founded American Campus with two gentlemen, Joseph Domberger and Wayne Senecal, um, I had had three jobs after my graduation at 22 years old until I was 29. So was a little, getting a little nervous because my resume had been out of school for six years and already worked for three companies. And those three companies mm-hmm. were uh, predomin- a company that focused predominantly on hotels, then a multifamily company, and then an office company. And in each of those three situations, I was attempting to form and work within student housing divisions in each of those organizations. And while all of them were kind of intrigued by the idea of student housing and the niche and the demographics, uh, they didn't really believe in it as a core business. And so it was almost, if you remember real estate in the 80s, the, the market had tanked, the main core segments were certainly yeah. struggling. And so people were intrigued that there may be something else to do. But really, the companies that I was working for were all just waiting for their core businesses to return. And so I had mm. a unique opportunity in 1993. I was living in Houston for the office development company, and I'd done eight student housing developments for them uh, and got it, got, got it their division started. And uh, there was a residence hall here at the University of Texas called Dobie Center. And Dobie was emerging from bankruptcy. And it was owned by a, a wonderful fellow named Joseph Domberger from Munich, Germany. And he had a U.S. representative that managed his real estate holdings here in the company Wayne, named Wayne Senecal. And they were bringing this building, which was a 1960s residence hall, out of bankruptcy. And they had hired an apartment management company that really didn't understand student housing uh, to, to manage the building. And mm-hmm. a friend of I had recommend I got a call from a headhunter looking for a general manager, and I'd recommended a friend of mine go interview. And when he got back from the interview, he called me up and he said, "Hey, it was the strangest thing. The uh, the fellow from Germany and his representatives that owned the building were sitting in the interview for the general manager. And it was very odd for the actual manager of the building to sit in a manager level interview with the management company. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which mm-hmm. kind of lit a light bulb for me that said, you know what? They probably realized that the apartment company they're hiring may not really understand this business. And so I, I called up uh, Mr. Domberger and Mr. Senecal and had a, a meeting with them at Zilker Park here in Austin uh, over the summer of 1993 and made a pitch for, hey, instead of paying a third party company to manage this building, why don't we start a company and you can pay that management fee into this company we'll start to uh, turn around the, the, the Adobe Center. And we used that management contract. And Mr. Domberger, God bless him, was 72 years old at the time, didn't want to invest any equity in U.S. real estate. He was doing workouts at that point. 
said, you know what, this is great. We'll give you the opportunity. And uh, we founded American Campus with that one single management contract for the Doby Center at the University of Texas. And our first offices wow. were in a vacant dorm room on the 27th floor of Doby. Now, something really mm-hmm. cool, four doors down uh, of that same building in the decade prior, Michael Dell had started Dell Computer. That's unbelievable. So two, two, two of what is today, two of Austin's most prominently publicly traded companies, both started on the 27th floor of a residence hall at the University of Texas. And so for, for us, it was very a very humble start. Uh, we had four full-time employees in that single management contract. And we, and we, it's so funny, we, we wrote our mission statement within six months of forming the company. And, and that mission statement, which still hangs on the wall here at American Campus today, was to be the nation's premier provider of quality student housing communities and services through a unique understanding of and an unrelenting commitment to students, parents, educational institutions, and investors. Our people are our strength, achieving success through a dedication to excellence and integrity. And so even as a very small startup company, it was, the focus was always to be the best in the industry, the premier in the industry, and to truly meet the consumer needs of our stakeholders. Okay, let's talk about that for a sec. I'm curious. You're there with four people in a dorm room several doors down from where Michael Dell founded his company. And you came up with this mission statement. Sometimes I think mission statements are real, and sometimes I think someone makes you generate them. But you set an intention. You set a goal. It was pretty high. Did you have any dream that it might become anything near what it's become so far? Absolutely not. I I never conceived it could be as big as it was. Now, I do have to tell you one other part of the early story, which is we go on and get to the end of the story. It's just it gives me goosebumps every time I tell the story. But so we, we, we have mm-hmm. this one management contract. We have a vision of building this incredible company that we want to change student housing forever and modernize it and bring great quality products and services. Mm-hmm. But go back to remember that textbook I talked about where everybody had these terrible misconceptions. Right. And so the, the, the because Mr. Domberger did not uh, want to invest large amounts of equity, the original business plan that I had was to go to colleges and universities and to pitch to them to hire us as a third-party developer and a third-party manager to build on-campus student housing for them and to modernize their products. Mm -hmm. And so I I had Mm -hmm. four poster boards that I used to carry around when I made that pitch to college and university presidents. And one of those poster boards was titled The Disney Way. And I would explain Mm. to colleges and universities, hey, everybody's been to Walt Disney World. We're going to bring the same approach to customer service, curb appeal, and facilities maintenance and deliver a world-class experience for students. And so we we started the company under the vision and the premise that we were going to emulate one of the world's best-in-class customer service companies in our mission. Um, And and that was something when we went public in 2004, continued to be part of our philosophical approach. And we've got a really cool thing going on at Disney that I'll talk about in a little bit that really brought everything full circle for us. But the, the, the qualitative part has always been something that is just really near and dear to us. And that I mentioned what we do, we don't view as just real estate. We think that in student housing, and I do think this could be carried to other sectors like co-living that you mentioned, what we do in student housing, what we do 
is we create a true student and resident experience to where, yes, you got to have great unit plans, you got to have great amenities, but really what we're doing is developing a sense of interaction and socialization that our students who live with us, we hope, feel like they're part of something much bigger than just the place they live. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to read a quote here that I have had on my bulletin board for a long time from Jerry Garcia, who I first got to know in college, I guess. But his the quote was, you don't want to be the best of the best. You want to be the only one that does what you do. And I think at that point in your history, no one did what you did. Yeah, truly. What you were suggesting was way out of the box, way above the box. It's it, it, it certainly, again, mo- most people had a complete misperception that under no circumstance you would, would you want to be in our business. And we had a, a mission of not only did we want to be in our business, but not only be the best company in our space, but we wanted to create a transformational experience for students. So, so talk about the evolution and how you began to grow and help how the industry did change to get to where your vision had been. Yeah, originally. and so the, uh, the, the first several years of the company's history were very challenging. Uh, as I mentioned, I traveled around with those four poster boards. And, uh, right. I, you know, the, uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard people say, man, that sounds great. I'd love to be your second client. No one wanted to be the first. <laughs> and I, I was right. making the pitch at Prairie View A&M University, which is a component of the Texas A&M University system. And the, the university president at the time was a gentleman named Dr. Charles Hines, who, who was a retired three-star general, had a Ph.D. in psychology from Howard, and just one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. And I made my pitch to President Hines, and he looked at me and he said, Mr. Bayless, we're going to do business. And I about fell out of my chair because no one had ever said yes before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, when President Hines said yes, and they needed a about at that point in time, about 700 new beds of student housing developed. All of a sudden, the client had said yes, but I had to remind myself again, we had no money. And so (laughs) I was very fortunate that Texas Commerce Bank was located here in Austin. And the chairman of Texas Commerce Bank Austin was a gentleman named Merriman Morton. And I took Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Morton down to Prairie View A&M with me and made the pitch the General Hines made his pitch, and Merriman Morton agreed for the bank to loan us 100% loan to cost to develop our first mm-hmm. development. And so our first development, and by the way, this was on a ground lease, we convinced a commercial right. bank to finance a 100% loan to cost on a ground lease. Today, you couldn't get that done. With a first-time borrower had no track record. That was it. And so that launched us as a company. And uh, that first development deal, which was a $10.2 million transaction, uh, we were very fortunate that somehow uh, the story of what we had done in the, in the public-private partnership that we had structured was pretty unique and innovative. And it got written up in the Wall Street Journal, uh, in the, the Texas Journal version. And all of a sudden, my phone started ringing and venture capital started calling saying, hey, this student housing, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, you know, maybe you should think about it. We'd love to, you know, get involved in your funding. And so at that point in time, you know, God bless Mr. Domberger. He uh, he said, hey, well, I don't want to stand in the way of, uh, of the company. I'd be happy to go ahead and uh, sell my interest. If you want to go raise venture capital, feel free to do so. And so we went to New York and we did our first venture capital roadshow in uh, 1997. And we were able to secure venture capital at a cost of 
hold it and get ready for this. 16.87 compounded monthly. <laughs> it's a guido. Oh, money. it was something else. And so, when again, go back to that textbook. When we were out looking for venture mm-hmm. capital, again, it's not only an industry that doesn't exist and what people view as a risky investment, but they had negative misperceptions. And so, we took that venture capital at 16.87 compounded monthly, and uh, we were able to over the next six years, build the organization up to about $300 million in assets. The other thing that occurred, and we were very fortunate, is that third-party development business on campus for colleges and universities exploded. And I'm not sure how we did it. Looking back in hindsight, it was pretty miraculous. But in the late 90s, we were awarded major transactions by the State University of New York system and the University of California system where we were competing with major real estate companies in both of those states is this little small private company in Texas. But what really appealed to the university system is what I was speaking to earlier. They didn't view us as a real estate company. They viewed us as a company that was going to create this student experience in the products we were building for. And so during that venture capital period from 96 to, to uh, or from 97 to 2003, we did over a dozen public-private partnership transactions where we were hired as a fee developer and fee manager by colleges and universities, which really started to create the American campus brand in higher education. Mm-hmm. And let's go back for a second because I'm curious. There were others building this. So you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer at this as a holistic business that includes management and experience, but others are out there on a turnkey basis or whatever trying to build yeah, but it, it, there, there were, and it was all, there was only a handful of companies and they, we all started at about the same time our, our largest competitor mm-hmm. uh, in the early 90s it started out when we did was a company called Capstone Development out of Birmingham Alabama uh, which, which we mm-hmm. w- had always viewed over the years as, as our main competitor and it was really only the two mm-hmm. of us uh, there was also a company out of Memphis Tennessee called Allen O'Hara uh, that later became EDR, which became a uh, public company peer after we went public. Um, but American mm-hmm. Campus was the only one that was really able to launch and differentiate ourselves um, and, and have the type of institutional success that we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so talk about that success, and maybe that culminated in, in an IPO, but I don't know if there's steps in between well, the, the VC days the, and the, the, the IPO. The difficult part, you know, when you're serving colleges and universities— and, and the college and university market is a very small industry. You know, every vice president of financial services or CFOs of the institution belong to an organization called NACUBO, the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Every director of housing right. belongs to ACUHO, the Association of College and University Housing Officers. And it is a, mm-hmm. it's a very small network. And so you're only as good as your last deal and you're in living up to all of the expectations that you set for the folks that you're partnering with. And right. when, when, when you're, when you're a, a real estate development company, you know, m- most real estate companies don't understand or value what I described as an intangible of what we attempt to create for them. It's just about real estate. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. We, we, we created a, a company, again, the college and universities had a real mutual respect for that we were attempting to really create a student experience that would be conducive to their students having academic achievement. And we built that unique aspect. And I, again, I mentioned myself and 
nearly two dozen folks in our company worked as RAs in college that are now senior management. So this was something we really believed in and really thought was the differentiating factor. And so how we designed our communities, we thought about completely different than a typical real estate company would in terms of the socialization and interaction we wanted to create. We also mm-hmm. knew that to have longevity in higher education, you really had to create win-win partnerships. You know, real estate companies like to maximize profits and win on a transaction. You have to sit, uh, think as though you're sitting on the other side of the tables of college and university and say, how is this going to be a good transaction for them over an 80-year period that you're looking at a ground lease? And most companies aren't built to think at that level of collaboration and partnerships that you put together. And so we were very fortunate and that the approach that we took the transaction structuring and product design really put us uh, in a com- long-term competitive position with the university and that they felt that we were philosophically, morally, and economically aligned with what they wanted to achieve. Now, I will tell you, having had venture capital partners, it's really difficult for a management team to truly deliver on your philosophy and your values if you're not in control of the economics. You know, at the end of the day, and this is when I realized I wanted to be a public company, one of my venture capital partners said to me at one point between 97 and 03, oh, Bill, you forgot the golden rule. We with the gold make the rules. And for me personally, that is when We got together with the management team and said, if we're going to be able to deliver for our university partners and we're going to be able to stay true to the values of our organization, we have to control our own equity funding. Not just when we structure the deal, but 10 years down the road, we've got to be able to make the right decisions and do the right thing by our partners in controlling the capital of our business plan to be able to stay true to it. Mm Mm-hmm. The public markets may not be any more virtuous unless all of your investors know that you come to this with a mission and a goal and a purpose. Absolutely. Because it could be grow, grow, grow. And and, and this is, you know, the the other thing that, you know, growing for the sake of growth is never a good business plan. And and, and we're, we're very fortunate in that we're in, I believe, what is the most underserved portion of real estate, that the growth opportunity inherently is greater, I believe, than any other sector. Uh, It it also, I believe, the public markets, where certainly there's always quarter-to-quarter pressure. You know, as a public company that is, well, you know, very fortunate to have earned a best-in-class reputation, we look at everything that we do with colleges and universities as though we're going to own it forever. We're not a fund that has a three, a five, or a seven-year hold period. And so so you're able to do business philosophically with a long-term alignment to the universities that you're serving. And and, and I can't mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. ex- I just can't give enough credit to what a competitive advantage that is. It makes sense given that your business model is to have to work with them, then you shoot yourself in the foot if you don't. You also don't you've been a little harsh on the DNA of real estate, but it is a truism that much of real estate comes from a place of merchant build. And that's not in your DNA. And for some other real estate companies, they have to get out of the mindset of merchant build to, God, we're going to build it and hold it forever. I'll I'll give you an economic example of what you just put forth. So as as Mm -hmm. the consolidator of real estate in the student housing division, we've developed 
over $7 billion of real estate. We've acquired over $6 billion of real estate. The properties that American Campus has developed over the last 25 years, on average, we have annual CapEx of about $145 per bed per year. In the properties that we have bought from our competitors that are more of a merchant limited hold period business plan, our annual CapEx spend is $275 per bed per year. And it really comes down to, are you building for the long term? Are you building to maximize merchant development profits and flip? Right. Hey, let me ask you a question. When you started at this, you were creating something new. There must have been version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 and learnings. So what did you develop at first that may have been a mistake and how has that evolved to be more bulletproof or more long-term in terms of what, what the design is or the programming? Yeah, and, and, and we are now on version about 22.0 and that the constant right. evolution of our product uh, is always taking place. I mentioned we house 135,000 students a year. We survey those students twice a year. We're always looking at their consumer preferences. The evolution that took place in in our product development, you know, if you had, we had been doing this podcast 15 years ago, I would have told you that all, all the products that we are going to be developing are going to be private bedroom, private bath. And that what students want more than anything is that privacy they're now growing up with. The, the evolution that has taken place is that we're now building more shared bedrooms and more shared spaces than we ever have. And the reason is what is the absolute most important factor to students is affordability. And so the mm. evolution of our product and our unit plans, and now think about what you're saying about co-living and young urban housing. The same problem they have is there's right. not affordability in products that meet their needs. And so what we evolved in student housing was a program that we refer to as build for the masses, not the classes. Meaning that, you know, mm. so much of real estate always focuses on the class A top 5% socioeconomic. When we design a student housing community, say it's a thousand bed property, we will have such a large variety of unit accommodations to where you can lease a very well-designed shared bedroom that has a privacy wall so you don't ever see your roommate sleeping across from you and be able to pay as low as $4.99 a month. And in the same building, you'll have a one-bedroom, one-bath penthouse unit that may lease for $2,000 a month so that we have a socioeconomic <laughs> price point available to every student within that university and they can live in the same great building in the same academic atmosphere and share the same great amenities. Huh. Is there a challenge in having those within the same building, not buildings down the street for the penthouse unit and the shared unit? We would tell you it is an incredible competitive advantage. And that, you know, first of all, when you make friends and go off to college, you don't make friends with everybody from the same socioeconomic as you are. And so, you know, within the same unit, we'll build a private bedroom and then a shared bedroom on the other side of the living room. So that, you know, for me, when I went to college, the son of a steelworker, my, my roommate was the, the son of a very prominent CPA for a big company. We didn't have the, the socioeconomics that were equal. Now, though, and, and when we moved out of our freshman dorm, he went and lived in a great place and I went and lived in maybe an also great place. And so we mm. bring the socioeconomics together to, again, create those diverse communities 
where you're living with people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different socioeconomics, which is really part of the college experience. Absolutely. It's interesting because when I think of student housing, maybe this is 10 years old, but I thought it was off-campus, higher-end, parents pay for it, and it's going to be fancy. I wasn't thinking of affordability being a key issue, and you're, hit, you're hitting it for well, the masses, too. this is our product differentiation, and that every other company in the space really does the opposite in what I described. They're all building that top-tier socioeconomic product, trying to hit the, 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 the sweet spot at the top of the market. We take the exact opposite approach, and it's part of why we believe we have been the, uh, the most successful student housing company and why we're the only company still left in the public space. Yeah. So let's keep talking about the space because I'm curious about a couple of things. So one is you you talked about huge potential for growth. And it seems to me that there's two themes that will continue to drive that. Um, One is privatization, public-private partnerships, getting assets off the balance sheet, and long-term relationships. But it seems that that theme, particularly for colleges, which are cash-strapped, is the right thing. And then the second thing is the field of specialization, like let universities teach <laughs> and let someone else house the students. They're you know, famously not great at housing, but they're hopefully really good at education. It seems to me that just brings unlimited potential for growth because there's a lot of beds. If you look at the 69 collegiate markets where we currently own properties, on, on mm-hmm. average, those universities provide beds as a percent of enrollment of 22%. And largely what they have is they have enough beds to house the first year students incoming for a year. And then those students are forced to migrate off campus to make space for the students incoming next year. The average age of that on-campus housing stock is 53 years old. And so, so much of what we're doing in what we call our ACE program, American Campus Equity, where we privately own on-campus housing so schools can preserve their balance sheet. Most of what we're developing in that particular space is we're tearing down the old residence halls and we are modernizing with new living learning communities. And so we're not, in that particular sector, for the most part, we're not even adding new supply. It's replacement housing. And It is an incredible opportunity for a a company like us. Now, here's the unique aspect of it. And while you're 100% correct, colleges and universities typically do not have a core competency for real estate design, real estate programming, and real estate development and construction delivery. And we can do a much better product much more efficiently. Student housing is a bit of the sacred cow in that, again, the, 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 the area of the university that is student affairs and, you know, student development and residence life. Right. This is part of their academic mission. And they're not comfortable mm-hmm. handing over. It's very much barbarians at the gate. They're not comfortable handing over their real estate where students are going to live to a traditional multifamily company or a hotel company. And this is where we've created the niche because colleges and universities say, oh, well, if we do it to American campus, they're going to have the same residence life, the same student development program. They're going to have the same resident assistant ratios, and they're going to implement the same academic, social, health, and wellness programs that we would. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we're a mm-hmm. safe choice for them because they're not sacrificing the academic mission and the intangible 
that they would candidly with most other real estate companies. It's interesting. It's back to your original concept of mission, vision, long-term relationships. And the best companies have that one way or the other, not necessarily in your space, but in every space. That is a common theme. Absolutely. You know, today we have a total enterprise value of about $9 billion. Uh, $6 billion of that is still private housing off campus across the street from colleges and universities. And $3 uh-huh. billion is on campus in partnership with universities under these uh, long-term ground leases. And, and the real evolution, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mentioned our first public-private partnership, which was, was with Prairie View A&M University, a very small mm-hmm. component school, about 6,000 students within the Texas A&M system. And when we first started out, most of our transactions were being done with what I would call tier two and three institutions that didn't have some of the mm-hmm. access to capital that the larger flagships did. And that has completely changed. Mm-hmm. And when, when, when you look at the transactions that we've announced in the public-private partnership o- over the last three to four years, it's Cal Berkeley, it's Princeton, it's the University of Southern California, it's the University of Arizona. The most prominent state flagship institutions are now adopting this P3 model as their preferred delivery mechanism. Now, a word from our sponsor, JLL. Hello, this is Tom Lawrence, leader of experience management with JLL's Property Management Group, and thanks for listening to Leading Voices in Real Estate. As in every industry, millennials have certainly changed the landscape. This generation is connected more than any other online than ever before, and they are turning the places where they work and also where they live. They're looking for and demanding a type of social structure. So we're seeing a lot of happy hours, tenant lounges, fitness classes, etc. Colleges also create a sense of culture and community, and based on that, we are developing and creating programming in our buildings across our portfolio that play to those groups and that really incorporate the interests of the college or the first-time job seeker. Now, back to our interview. Wonderful. So two questions we haven't talked about. One is, do you do food? Is that part of your business or no? Yes. um, We have... And we, because we're building first-year residence halls, uh, in many uh-huh. cases, we, we have probably built now close to two dozen uh, dining facilities in conjunction with those residence uh-huh. halls. Now, when we are on campus, typically the universities have already contracted their entire food service operations throughout the entire campus with either a Sodexo or uh-huh. a, an Aramark and those type companies. And so in many cases, Uh we will lease those facilities that we build back to the university and or those operators. However, we actually own facilities off campus where we also have our own dining facilities as part of that. And in those cases, we self-operate them. And that's a whole different business line and a whole different understanding of how to self-operate that in an efficient, effective, and happy way. And for us, that's something when we look at the residence hall products with a full food service that we own off campus – we haven't outsourced that food service because we're worried about maintaining our quality and our brand. And so, you know, we, we believe mm-hmm. that we can do it a little bit better than folks that are doing it on the margins as a third-party provider. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite programs in our, uh, in our food service program is we have a program, say, Bring Mom's Recipe. And so bring your mom's favorite mm-hmm. recipe and we'll make it for the whole building. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Uh, my mother will volunteer that. So second question and it may, it's a 
funny thought here is that textbook that you talked yep. about that dissed student housing. I'm going to guess that that textbook came out around the same time that the movie Animal House uh, came out. Yes, absolutely. Ah, so how do you not, and that may be a misperception from all of us of remembering our college years, at least part of the dynamic of our college years, and that movie thinking about it. How is it not Animal House, and how do you manage having enough Animal House to make the students yeah, happy? Students are, and first of all, the Animal House myth, which I will now call a myth, was, self, was self-perpetuated. And that if you are an absentee mm-hmm. landlord, and you're not picking up mm-hmm. the grounds, and you're not repairing damage of holes in the wall, and you're not showing any care and concern for the community, guess what? Then the residents aren't going to show care and concern. And so the, the people, the ma and pa operations that were in student housing, they expected the worst, they got the worst, and it was self-fulfilling. When we open a new student housing community, we will hire a landscape company to come in at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning for the first two weeks. So when those students are walking out of their unit, there is not a gum wrapper, there is not a soda can, there is not a piece of trash anywhere on that community. Also, every one of our staff members that work on site, whether you're a resident assistant, whether you're on the maintenance team, whether you're the bookkeeper, the last line of your job description is groundskeeper. No one walks on an American campus community without picking up anything that they see. When students live and are immersed in that type of service, guess what they start doing? They respect themselves and their property. They start picking up the Mm -hmm. paper. They start self-enforcing with each other. The other thing that we do is we get into every unit every 60 to 90 days to change the air filter. And when we're in that unit, Mm. we inspect for any damage, we fix any damage that may occur, and we bill for any damage on an ongoing basis every 60 to 90 days. Students don't want to pay you extra money. They they don't have a lot of discretionary income, and so they want to take care of the place too. So we positively reinforce students being a worthy consumer, give them the best product and service. And our experience over 25 years is when you take that model, they respond in the same manner. Absolutely. I got to tie this back to Disney. What I just described to you that we do day in and day out, that was the implementation of our original vision that we're going to emulate Disney for their curb appeal and their customer service. So last year was our 25th anniversary as a company. And we announced that we are developing 10,400 beds at Walt Disney World, where we are going to house the Disney College program, which are their internships, where they have 25,000 students a year come through that work in their hospitality, in the parks, in every aspect of Disney's business. And while they're there, they go to the Disney Education Center and earn credit hours from three to nine credit hours that transfer back to their institution. And so in, in Disney, candidly cold called us about 18 months before we broke ground and invited us to come talk about that and to privately own the Disney college programs. We're investing $615 million at Walt Disney world on a 150 acres that they're leasing us. And so for us at American Mm -hmm. campus to have started the company 25 years ago with a poster board saying, we're going to emulate who we believe is the world's best in class company for curb appeal and customer service to 25 years later be invited to privately own the housing of the people that are delivering that mission for Disney, 
that's just pretty cool in terms of, you know what, I think we stay true to what our vision and our mission was and maybe doing something right. Absolutely true. It, a question about that, because they're a hospitality company. They run their own hotels. So if they run their own hotels successfully and understand hospitality, wouldn't they think that they could do what you're doing, but they know it's a different dynamic? Yeah, and this is where, you know, D- Disney's best in class at absolutely everything that they do. And when, mm-hmm. when and you're 100%, you know, having having the pleasure of working with them on this transaction and getting to go down and stay in their right. hotels, there's nobody that does does it as well as they do. As they looked at mm-hmm. this, their Disney College program, which they've been running for 40 years. The program's been in existence a long time. And they actually used to master lease multifamily complexes throughout Orlando to house all these 10,000 students. Um, When we went down to talk to Disney initially, we thought, oh, this is going to be a consulting gig. You know, we'll get to to bounce some things off of them. And as part of our collaboration with them, we actually took them to some of our larger university developments, the University of California, Irvine, where we have over 5,000 beds mm-hmm. we developed on that campus. We develop honors colleges all the time where we actually build the academic infrastructure, the classrooms. And, and this new development Disney was doing also includes the Disney Education Center. And so candidly, after mm-hmm. Disney toured our facilities and saw what we do at college and universities, when we went back down for the next meeting, they were, you know, we were very humble. They said, hey, look, we are best in class at everything that we do. This is an area where you are best in class and we are not. And we want our Disney College program to be best in class. How would you like to privately own it? Wow. It's an interesting dynamic to know what you are best in class in and then be willing to have the humbleness to bring in someone who's best in class at something really close to what they already do. Again, stu- student housing and, and the Disney College program, what is, what's, what's really challenging about it is that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the internships are as short as a semester. They can be, uh, you know, a spring or a summer. They can be a, a, a summer and a fall, a spring and a, and a summer. Uh, or if you're a recent graduate, it can be up to 12 months. But you mm-hmm. even have more turns in the Disney College program than you do in a typical student housing community. And so operationally, it is every bit as challenging as the traditional student housing that we do. But, you know, in a lot of cases, these are our already existing residents going to do these internships. And so it's a market we're already right. serving and already know well. And so I think Disney saw a lot of benefit that we could bring to uh, helping take the program to maybe even a different level than it had been previously. And certainly they had already managed it very well for the last 40 years. Uh, absolutely true. So you've helped create or created, I don't know which is the right word to use, uh, an entirely new sector in the real estate business, and you lead it in a very unique way. Talk about maybe lessons you've learned or lessons you'd like to share with others in other sectors of real estate or in other businesses that they could take from this conversation. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think has been, and, and you know, while this sector is is viewed as the most defensive and stable cash flows in real estate, the American campus story is a little bit unique. I mean, if you look at the other three publicly traded student housing companies that, that went out there, none of them had great success um, in, right. in terms of what took place. And what I would tell you was the differentiating factor that may be a great lesson for other real estate companies that, that we ended up kind of stumbling into out of necessity. Because student housing had not been 
a mainstream real estate investment in an institutional niche. No one ever developed software programs to manage student housing. And so very unique to American campus that I don't think any other publicly traded real estate company uh, has had to do. We had to develop all of our own proprietary operating platform. And so leasing right. management, revenue management, resident interface, business intelligence, our, our chief technology officer, George DeCardinus, came from NASA, where he was part of the Lockheed Martin team that worked on transforming NASA from the old cathode ray, cathode ray tubes to live data mining during the shuttle missions. Right. And so, uh -huh. you know, right now today at American Campus, we have 30 in-house programmers. And so the operational and the business intelligence software that we have created is 100% custom to what we do and how we run our business and how we evolve our business. And when, when you're, you know, I, I would venture to say that every apartment manager company, every hotel management company, every office management company, they all pick from three or four software products that the whole industry uses. And those software products are developed so that they can fit everybody's general business model. Our software right. has been developed to give us the best competitive advantage exactly as we want to adapt our business. And I can't tell you what a competitive advantage that has been for us. And so I think that especially in the world that we're moving into, one of the lessons that can be learned from our own success here is that investing in customized software, data, and business intelligence really makes an incredible difference, not only in operating your business and serving your customer, but also in your investment decisions as it relates to development, buying, and disposing of assets based on having, having the best data in the industry. Well, just, just a comment to your last question is uh, the competitive advantage is a big one. I know an equal number of companies that wind up investing in proprietary software and it just drags them down because they got it wrong. Yeah, and this is, you know, I, I'm very lucky in that during my career at West Virginia University, for three semesters, I was a computer science major. So I learned how to program mm -hmm. in uh, Fortran, COBOL, and PL1. But more importantly, I learned how to flowchart. And so ha having yep. worked in student housing operations and development, uh, I was very fortunate that when we did start the development of our proprietary systems, I was able to personally get involved in some of the logic sequencing and flow charting of what we were developing. And so, you know, things happen for a strange reason. I was never meant to be a computer programmer, but I will tell you it came in incredibly handy when it came time to us developing those proprietary systems. Absolutely true. Okay, so my last question on the podcast is always the same which is if you're giving a, advice to a young person embarking a career somewhere in real estate, not necessarily in student housing, what would that advice be? You know, and, and I am, one of the funnest things I get to do is to speak at business schools across America. I actually spoke at the University of Texas yesterday. It's one of their MBA programs. And, and I've got a little slide, you know, talks about the, the, the keys to success. And, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, one of the things that I all, a couple, there's actually two or three things I'd always tell students. One, Whatever your business is, identify and understand what are the most basic fundamentals of that business. You've got to understand that, you know, it's student housing. What we identified at an American campus, it was this simple. Look, proximity to the campus, you've got to be able to walk to class. 
product differentiation, which included price point product differentiation, and submarkets with barriers to entry. Three very simple things. And if you stay true to them, mm-hmm. you'll be wildly successful. Mm-hmm. So often as we get into real estate, you think about mm-hmm. growth for growth's sake, and that's what happens to so many companies. They always push away from those fundamentals. And so for someone get, has, having a career in real mm-hmm. estate, I would say first and foremost, whatever that niche is, truly understand the myopic fundamentals and then just stay true to it. Uh, the, the, the other thing from a personal perspective that I always tell young people that I think is the most important part of a successful career is not being afraid to hire people that are smarter than you are. In my career, I've seen managers that operate from one of two perspectives. Some people hire people that they're comfortable with. Oh, I like that person. They fit my personality. I don't feel threatened. I'm going to hire that person. And you end up creating mediocrity all around you. When you can build teams, and anytime you find someone that you think is brilliant, that you're threatened by, that they want your job, hire them. Because as an executive, whether it's in Mm -hmm. real estate or any other business, when your skill set becomes putting together the best collaborative teams, you're going to race through the ranks quicker than anybody. Because at the end of the day, no matter what the sector, you win and lose with people. And if you can build the best teams, you're going to win. The third one, trust is everything. And in your personal relationships with your peers, your subordinates, your superiors, trust is the most important variable you have to have between you. Never be afraid to make mistakes. Never be afraid to own your mistakes. Never try to hide the smallest indiscretion that could be an impact to your business. Always be forthright in putting it out there. It's the essential to any business relationship. Totally true. I use the word, it's a long game. Every relationship is a long game. Every behavior is a long game and set your behavior so that there is a consistency and integrity to it because it'll come back in spades over the years. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better. Bill, hey, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast. This was a great conversation. It'll be helpful to our listeners. And uh, I look forward to keep talking. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. This episode of Leading Voices in Real Estate has been brought to you by JLL. The firm's in-depth local market and global investor knowledge delivers the best-in-class solutions for clients. Whether a sale, financing, repositioning, advisory, or recapitalization execution. Are you interested in how to make your ambition a reality? Learn more at jll.com voices. That's jll.com voices.